0: The inspiring Maria Hashmi, 21 years old, has a huge passion for all things zoology, especially reptiles. This fascination with protecting the natural world has led her rebellion against expectations of her as a Pakistani woman to pursue a profession in wildlife conservation. Maria questions why women shouldn't be involved in this field when Pakistan has so much wildlife in need of protection. Pakistan is a country of 221 million people, where over a third live beneath the poverty line. And while it's home to exceptional biodiversity, from snow leopard to pangolin to black bear, many species are declining at alarming rates. Motivated to turn this story around, since finishing school, Maria has built her network with the international community of wildlifers, and now works online with Conservation Optimism, Pride Lands Films and Reserva as well as with her father on her family's wildlife reserve. Maria shares her experience as a woman pursuing zoology in this biodiversity blind spot to save Pakistan's precious natural capital. Welcome Maria. Hello and welcome to It's a Wildlife, podcast and blog sharing the great work being done for wildlife conservation worldwide and solving problems for ecologists by ecologists. If you're a fellow wildlifer, whether you're just starting out or you've been about the traps for a while, tune in and let's chat. You're in the right place. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Would you be able to start by, I guess, introducing yourself and sharing a little bit about your story, where you're at?
1: Okay, so uh, my name is Maria. I live in Islamabad, Pakistan, and I'm 21 years old. My interests are zoology, particularly herpetology. I'm a sucker for reptiles, so that's something that's always been an obsession for me. I've been surrounded by wildlife since I was a kid, for as long as I can remember, because my dad is a long-time conservationist and hunter. So as, for as long as I can remember, I've been surrounded by all sorts of uh, wildlife, including reptiles. We had like crocodiles at our house since when I was like four years old. So I, I've always been really immersed in that environment. Uh, so growing up, I did feel kind of a bit like an outsider at school, because in Pakistan, the wildlife field isn't very developed. So, it was completely new to people, especially being a girl. Like, that was another huge thing is like, oh, you're a girl. How are you going to be in an outdoor field? Which was really hard for me because I always felt like an outsider. I remember in third grade, I, for show and tell, I took my pet cockroach to school and it was just like the greatest mistake of my life. Oh my God. I was ridiculed for it for years. But I love that pet cockroach it was such a great day for me but yeah so I had like lots of these experiences growing up like my favorite toy was like this huge plastic crocodile and I just like took it everywhere with me I cried about it like I had to cry for my mom to get it for me she was super disturbed that I was like three years old and wanting this big scary crocodile toy and I just cried outside the store until she bought it for me I still have it actually it's been all these years and I have it but yeah as a kid it was quite difficult because um, nobody understood and my mom was like it's just a phase it's just a phase she's gonna get over it but then like through school and high school I just started leaning more into it Um, and you know how high school is everyone's like a bit hard on you and they're like oh you're a weirdo and I was like yeah I am so what (laughs) it was like I really had to embrace it there was no other way like I knew I had to like fully just embrace it and you know be super confident about it there was like no other way for me to get through that hard time which is like high school but it it was also a lot easier for me I feel like I'm privileged in many ways because my dad was so into wildlife so it made it easier for me in the sense that because he was so into it he understood that okay someone could be into it and make it their profession so I did get that kind of support from him and you know a little bit a little bit like growing up they started to understand things and I remember like when I was 14 I like emailed Austin Stevens and I was like my parents don't understand please help me and he was like just 13 years old they're gonna get it when you're a little older and I remember that was like pivotal for me like the the moment he emailed me I was like this has to be it like I can't do anything else he recognized me I, I it needs to be herpetology for me and so yeah, once you're a little older I think it becomes more difficult as well because people stop looking at you like a kid and they're like oh you're like a sensible adult why are you doing these things and I was like this is a sensible adult thing to do like save the world you know a bit of a hero complex that I'm gonna like save the world I'm gonna save all the animals it really did just start out there and then honestly I feel like I didn't know enough when I decided I wanted to do it like I did not know how the actual field worked I just thought that oh yeah I'm just gonna go out and save wildlife and tell people to save wildlife but When I actually started like getting into the field, which was I think after I graduated high school, which was in 2020 during COVID. And I couldn't like go abroad for like an undergraduate degree or anything. And we didn't have any good degrees in zoology here. And I was like, what do I do with my life now? And then I decided to make a blog on Instagram. And I was like, oh my god, everyone's going to hate me. Everyone's going to call me a weirdo. What am I going to do? But it, it just worked out. I feel like I made so many international friends. And kind of getting that exposure to like the international wildlife community really supported me in the way that I was not getting that kind of support in Pakistan. Especially because of the way our culture is. It was like, you, a woman, you're not going to go out into the field. And I was like, why not? Like It was like, I really had to. So my rebel with a cause kind of comes from there the rebel part of that is kind of like just alluding to like the kind of things I had to deal with culturally in Pakistan like with people saying that okay you know you as a woman can't do this or you like as a woman can't be in a wildlife field you can't be working with animals and I was like why not and that's actually something that I want to work on I want to be that character that kind of solves that for other women uh, younger women who are wanting to get into this field but can't and I want to uh, show them that it's okay and you can do it because I mean as long as you're doing things within like the bounds of safety then there's nothing wrong with it but as I said it's not something that's Easy. I would say that I think it's like I. I often like joke with my friends about it that I've chosen the hardest profession in all of Pakistan. Seriously, like you think that it's like easy or yeah, you're working with wildlife and it's all cute and cuddly, but it, it's like it's difficult. I feel like it really takes it out of you to like try to get like a lot of conservation things through to people because uh, this is something I talk a lot about on my page as well. That conservation is so different in Pakistan because being a third world country. People don't have food to eat. And so you can't tell them that, hey, I know you're starving, but you have to save this animal. So you kind of have to be careful of all of those factors as well. And then a lot of the rural communities, they're dealing directly with wildlife. You know, the wildlife human conflict is highest in the rural areas the villages people who are living um, near the rivers, near the lakes. And they have like the highest conflict with especially crocodiles. That's a big thing that we have in Pakistan, our mugger crocodiles. There's lots of human wildlife conflict there. So those people, they don't have enough to eat or their kids are being snatched from the bank. So you need to be careful when you're telling them, okay, you need to save this like child killing machine. Like they don't understand things the way that we would understand them when we're not directly being affected by the conflict. So I think that that is like a factor that makes it that much harder in Pakistan that you have to really be like careful. That's why something that's worked really well for Pakistan actually is incentivized methods such as hunting so we did like a program for trophy hunting up in the northern areas and uh, like 80 percent of the profit went to the local community and our population for that specific animal like doubled within just a few years so that worked out really well for Pakistan but then it's also difficult because you need to like get that money from somewhere you have to really go like to the baseline and start from there. And I think that's what makes it that much harder that you have to kind of see that what is that community dealing with? Are they, they're not even getting enough food. Should I really be talking to them about wildlife? How can I like, you know, strike that balance? So that's something that makes it like that much more difficult. But I think like for me, I always feel like it's worth it because the payoff I get when something works out, like uh, my dad and I have this reserve in uh, the Southern part of our country. It's like a hundred acres of forest. And we have all this native wildlife on there and they're like, you know, breeding themselves and they're just happy. Nobody does anything with them. So when I go there and then I see all these populations and I see like, you know, sometimes we'll have like tourists and guests and they're like, in awe and that's like where I get like my fuel and all of that passion that I'm just this is what I want for Pakistan and this is what I want for people around the world like I feel like Pakistan is really like a biodiversity blind spot really like people say hot spot but I'm gonna say blind spot because nobody knows the kind of wildlife we have here that nobody really knows like I feel like it's really advanced in terms of India like our neighbors like everybody knows a lot about their wildlife because they're really good in that aspect in that field. But in Pakistan, I feel like our own people don't know what wildlife we have. Like people didn't know we had leopards or crocodiles. So when I started my blog, somebody said to me, I thought we only had lizards in Pakistan. I was like, are you kidding me? That's it? Like that was the extent of your imagination? But I guess a big factor is that there's such little wild spaces left because of the overpopulation that it's hard to come into contact with wildlife. So people don't even come into contact with wildlife. People are so caught up in their own issues like our economic problems or family problems. There's so much happening in this country at all times. I feel like that kind of door is not open for people. And it's just the biggest, greatest motivation for me is that I'm like, a lot of these species are going to disappear without people even ever discovering them. And that really breaks my heart because I feel like we're not doing them justice. Like, I mean, there's so many, like, I'm certain there's so many undiscovered species in Pakistan that people are like, you know, oh, we don't even know. So there's a lot of that feeds into me wanting to kind of pursue this because I do want to, like, break a lot of these barriers that we have, especially for Pakistani women. So many people have reached out to me ever since I started my blog saying that I want to do this, but is it safe for girls? Can we do it as a girl? Like, will we get jobs? And... The truth is a lot of people who studied zoology in Pakistan don't get jobs. People don't hire them because they're like, oh, it's like women. They're such a headache in the field. They're like this. They're like that. And it's like a lot of sexism in that whole thing. But all in all, like I think the biggest thing that helped me like deal with all these things, because obviously it did like really freak me out in the beginning when I started in this field. I was like, can I even do this? Like this is a lot of pressure, a lot of odds against me rather than, you know, me having like something on my side. It was mostly just things against me. And something that really helped me, honestly, was just networking. Like, the more people I got to know, like, especially from abroad, a lot of people really helped me understand how you can, like, conservation is not really black and white. You have to kind of, like, work within the grays. So how can you adapt, for example, Western conservation practices to Pakistan's current situation so there was so much of that like I got so much support from like my friends abroad people like I've made friends in Alaska in Germany in the US in Australia I've made so many friends all around the world and just getting their support getting their advice a lot of my friends are like in their 50s 60s at the highest part of their career where they're like you know directors for big wildlife organizations and getting their help and having their support honestly it's if I was to give advice to someone who's wanting to start out on my path my biggest Piece of advice would be just to network like once you make like some solid connections the kind of support you get from there the kind of opportunities you get from there it's unmatched and I never thought that living in Pakistan I'd have a lot of these opportunities that I do get and it's just because like you have to take advantage of your situation for me that was that because of the way my family was I wasn't able to because it's a more conservative kind of country I'm not able to like go alone and just go hiking it needs to be there needs to be a guy with me So that's something that's difficult for me because in a workspace, which is wildlife, I do need to be out a lot. And that just makes it difficult. I'm like grabbing my uncle or grabbing my brother and I'm like, you know, go with me. Someone take me, someone take me hiking. But I feel like when I was younger, I thought that everything has to be done in person. and needs to like, you know, happen in front of me. I need to go to a workplace to work. I need to have a job. But a lot of it is not like that. Like, I I would say that you shouldn't underestimate the power of the internet. Like, seriously, like the kind of work opportunities, uh, volunteer opportunities, that I've gotten online just by being really active and networking with people. It's honestly amazing. Like, you would never expect that. Like, I never thought that I would, like, have the opportunity to, like, apply for a National Geographic externship, which I did get the opportunity for, like, about two times. And that was all because of networking, like, through contact. People recommend you, you get recommended to things. I've been working with Reserva. I've been working with Conservation Optimism. I feel like a lot of it, like, you know, when you just look at it, you're like, okay, it's black and white, it's either this or that. But you kind of have to make it work for yourself. So if I would like talking to a younger version of me, even I just tell me that you have to stop freaking out. First of all, stop panicking about all of this. The biggest thing is that you just have to believe in yourself. Like you need to push yourself. You need to believe that you're able to do it. Once you believe that you believe in yourself that, look, this is my passion. I'm not going to settle for anything less. Doors just start opening for you. I feel like in a really weird way, like the universe kind of just meets you halfway like, I feel like that really happened with me. Like, I'm not a very, like, spiritual person in that aspect. But I feel like it did work for me that way that I put myself out there fearlessly. That I was like, okay, even if I get rejected, I'm going to apply. I apply everywhere. Like, every time I get an opportunity, I just apply straight up. Like, I'm like, even if I'm so busy or whatever, I'm, my schedule's booked, I still apply. And even if I don't get the job, half more than half the time, I get a contact, I make a friend or, you know, all of these things add up. Like, and when you're actually working, when I'm working on my reserve with my dad, these contacts really help where I can just text someone and I can be like, hey, you specialize in this. So can you help me with that? Or can you give me like, can you advise me the right way? And you really honestly do get a lot of help. Like with our Crocs on the reserve, I made a friend that's working with the Wildlife Conservation Society in the US, and he helped me work on the croc enclosures and how to like gender them and all of that so that that was really useful for me as someone who's just 21 years old and I don't have any like formal institutions here offering like wildlife degrees it really helped to have like people teaching me as just as friends and you know accepting me to be on their level that's something that I deal with uh, not having a degree in zoology that's something that I face a lot that people are kind of like gatekeeping conservation they're like no you can't be a conservationist if you don't have a degree which is totally not fair I mean if you love wildlife you're studying wildlife you're working in wildlife you're a conservationist it doesn't mean anything to have like a formal piece of paper stating that okay yes congratulations you're a conservationist it's not quite like that And this is another thing that I used to really like struggle with and I feel that after my high school graduation I like was in such a mess I would just sit and cry and be like so upset and just be like why is this happening to me why don't I have a degree I'm never gonna get a job I can never follow my dreams but it's not that black and white like you just you have to carve your own path. everyone's journey is so different based on like their circumstances where they started out all of us have different starting places the finish line is also different for all of us like everyone's trying to go like in a different place in a different direction Nobody has the exact same journey. So I feel that any advice that I give, everyone has to adapt that to their own lives. Like it's never going to be like you can just totally pick up what I said and just directly apply it to your life. You have to kind of change it to how your life is. So for me, my biggest struggle was that my parents are a little conservative. I still live with my parents. In Pakistan, you don't leave the house at 18. It's like you stay with your parents until you're married. And if you leave before that, you're being a bad kid. (laughs) So that's something I struggle with, because oftentimes it's like someone will be like, oh, my God, we like give you a fully funded trip to like Borneo or something. And, you know, you just have to research for us. And I'm like, oh, I didn't get permission to go. And it, it does feel like that is a big obstacle for me in my life. So a lot of things I have to kind of adapt everything to what works for me, things that I'm able to do. If I really want to go do something, I just like convince my brother, I'm convincing my uncle, convincing my dad that please, please take me. Even for conventions and things, because in Pakistan, the wildlife field is limited as much as there is, it's just male dominated. Like there's maybe like two or three women in total in the entire Pakistan wildlife field. So that kind of obviously does make it difficult because the men are like gatekeeping that they're like, oh, you're a woman, we're not going to tell you anything, we're not going to help you. So it's really sad that the least amount of help that I've gotten is from Pakistani conservationists. People abroad will like help you more, I guess, in a sense, they don't consider you competition because you're not in the same field as them, like not in the same geographical location. So there's more help, there's more support. And I think like at the end of the day, all of this is just to say that you have to have that kind of persistence to kind of push through all of that because I feel that people think that It's a throwaway profession and it's something that's really easy. Someone who can't think of something else to do in their life, they just go into wildlife. And it's really not like that. It is something that's like, it takes serious amounts of work, like your physical effort as well as your mental effort. It can be very draining at times. So I feel like a lot of people think that, no, it's so easy. You just go pet animals, you cuddle animals. It's not like that at all. Like so many times you're in a scary situation or you don't know what to do or you have so much work, like data work, research work. There's so much all the time. So uh, this is not to like discourage anybody from going into this field, but it is something that I'd say that You do need to consider all sorts of things because it's just like any other profession. It's not the kind of thing that you can do on the back end and be like, yeah, it's going to be all good. It's a side job. It's not that kind of thing. It does kind of take a lot of effort. Maybe it's different abroad. This is my experience being in Pakistan that it's it's been a roller coaster for me and I'm still figuring it out. I'm still figuring out how to get abroad for an undergraduate degree, how to like sort things out, how to like forward myself in this profession being in this country you know a lot of people ask me that also are you are you gonna go abroad are you gonna work abroad you're never gonna come back or you you should go to Florida and never return it's all reptiles you'll have so much fun there a lot of people told me oh my god you should go to Australia that'll be the best place for you just live there it's so many reptiles and I'm like you know I would love to stay there but I feel like I would feel personally like such a coward if I left Pakistan and never returned because I do feel like you know in places like Australia and the US, they do have enough people in this field. Like Great people like you guys are in these fields, and you guys are doing so much work. You guys are helping people, but Pakistan doesn't have any people. And if people like me keep leaving, then we're never going to have those people. Nobody, The field is never going to get advanced here, and then all of our native wildlife is just going to die off. Nobody's going to know it ever existed. And that's something I don't think I would be able to forgive myself for. I think I'd just feel really bad if I left and never returned knowing that this country needs me more than any other country you know Uh, i just talked so much like without stopping (laughs) (laughs)
0: No, absolutely. I think so much of what you talk just gave me so many goosebumps. Like I love your passion. I love your motivation. And it is so impressive to hear your story in the face of gatekeeping and conservation, which you mentioned that you've experienced gatekeeping in the form of men keeping women like yourself out of the field, but also the scientific world gatekeeping to non-scientists in the ecology space to overcome this gatekeeping what do you think we could do differently to help people better access this field
1: so I think this is something that kind of lies in the hands of people who are already in high positions in the conservation organizations like it would be something that's their responsibility to hire more amateurs into the field I do think that's something that would be really good if they started Because if you look at a lot of the postings for jobs, it's like, at least have a master's degree. And that's not accessible for most people. Like a lot of people, like people in Pakistan don't have access to that. Either they can't afford it. A lot of people can't afford higher education. A lot of people can't speak English. So they can't actually go and do like an undergraduate degree abroad either. So I think that is something that this field does need to become more accessible. Because right now there is that, like if I make an infographic and I post it on my blog, people are like, you're not a real scientist. You don't know what you're talking about. And that's not true, obviously, just because I do feel like at some point your level of experience does equal to having an education. I've been in wild, working in wildlife for nearly 10 years now. So I do think that's something that I would say, like I used to always doubt myself before and I would always say that, no, I'm not. I'm not a real zoologist. I'm just an aspiring zoologist. But now I'm like, you know, at that point where I'm like after like 10 years of experience, I think I can consider myself a zoologist. I, I mean, I'm sure there's like so many things to make this more accessible. But something I think would be really good is if people who are actually hiring would start considering amateurs And people who don't not amateurs in the sense that they don't know how to do anything, but in the sense that they don't have degrees like formal education backgrounds. So you can set that okay, this person should have two years of experience or three years of experience instead of stating that this person should have a master's degree. I think that would really diversify the field and it would open it up to a lot of people, a lot of people who are from backgrounds that don't have access to education, such as myself, honestly. Like I find it really difficult to like get opportunities even for applying for grants for our reserve because When people are giving grants, they'll be like, oh, you don't have a PhD? Sorry, you don't get a grant. And that's obviously not accessible to a lot of people getting a PhD. I don't even think that there's any PhDs available for like wildlife in Pakistan. And again, the point that I think is the biggest concern is that a lot of people can't afford it. Higher education is a privilege. Like people who are able to even... Afforded are like going crazy, taking out loans, and they're in debt for the rest of their lives. So that's not something that's fair. That okay, if you want to save the world, you need to be in debt for the rest of your life. I don't think that's fair. I mean, I've met so many people who are so intelligent and so wise when it comes to conservation and they don't have degrees and they've been working in this field for like 25 years or more so it is definitely possible it's just harder because you do have to kind of fight your way through as opposed to someone who has a phd they wouldn't have to put that much effort but it's possible like i wouldn't say to anybody that okay if you don't have a degree don't even think about going into the field i'm doing it and i'm getting opportunities such as this one so there, is, there are people out there that do validate you and value you even if you don't have a degree. I I would never say that that's something that should stop you from going into conservation. You can have a degree in business and still be like, okay, you know, I want to go into conservation. So you can still be in conservation. You don't have a degree, you can be right out of high school and be in conservation. I was still in high school when I started working in conservation. So even though it took me longer to get to the place that a lot of people got to faster, I'm still getting there. And I think, you know, that whole journey is in itself beautiful in a way because you do learn a lot I think eventually like from that entire like process you are learning a lot um, about yourself I think the biggest thing is I learned so much about myself and how to like be more confident how to be more fierce and courageous and fearless honestly you have to like put yourself out there and like in a way like sell yourself you, like not sell yourself like that I mean like when you're in an interview you have to be confident in yourself, believe in yourself that, look, I am as well, just I am doing all this work and my work is valued. Just because you don't have a degree doesn't make you any less of a scientist. And a lot of the times, even if you have a degree, that doesn't make you a scientist because you have like zero field experience. So this is not, I don't think that having a degree is something that's necessary for conservation because a lot of people with degrees have not spent a single day in the field. And a lot of people who don't have degrees have spent their entire lives in the field. So many things like that and conservation that are not black and white, all in the greys, for sure.
0: Yeah, completely. And I love how you started off there with the comment about how it's up to the people who are already in the field. I think often conservation can be very underfunded, as you said, and that drives competition. And people forget that they got into the field because other people gave them a helping hand. So it's up to the leaders within the field at the moment to reach out and pull people up with them. They can seem like really small things, but as you say, they open up the playing field and they give opportunities to a much higher diversity of different people.
1: For sure. And I think the conservation field could really benefit from that. A lot of indigenous communities, a lot of uh, people who can't afford higher education are living closest to wildlife, and we could learn so much from them. A lot of people, like when I go to the rural areas of Pakistan, I honestly, I'll admit it, a lot of those people know a lot more about that crocodile than I do because they're living with it. Every single day, they're seeing that crocodile come to the same river that they're in or they're uh, bathing their cows in, and they do know a lot about their habits. They do have a lot of knowledge to offer, generational knowledge, a lot of things that they learn about that wildlife. And I feel like if we diversify the conservation field by uh, lowering the standards in a way, I really think that we could benefit from that.
0: Absolutely. And the term lowering the standard is not even the case. You know, you're just opening up the field to accommodate different styles of knowledge. You know, traditional knowledge doesn't always fit the format of Western science, but is just as valid. Yeah, of course. I think
1: that's a really big struggle in Pakistan as well, accepting the Western method as the method, because as like a formerly colonized country, we did face that a lot and still do. People do feel like, okay, what the white people say is how it is. And we can't say it any other way. Or we're, we're like stupid if we disagree with them. And we do come across that a lot. That people are like, okay, yeah, but those people are doing that. So how are we going to do this? How can we do this? I felt this a lot with like hunting in particular. Because something that worked for us was trophy hunting. And people were really worried that Western countries are really going to criticize us. And because this is a Westernized concept that, okay, you know, hunting is really bad. It's unethical and things. People were really worried about that, but that is something that worked for Pakistan. So I feel like that is something we need to focus on. It worked for our local community. Our local community benefited in such an amazing way, you wouldn't believe it. They built schools. They started having more job opportunities because the wildlife sector became a proper place in this rural community. They built schools, people became educated, people are learning things. Their living standards are much higher now just because of this trophy hunting scheme. So even now, like people will criticize that, you know, so what, why can't people just conserve wildlife without needing to get something out of it? And I think that it's unfair to ask people of that, because honestly, if your kids are starving. You're not going to think about saving the deers. You're not going to do that. So that is something that I feel like we do face in Pakistan where people just think that the westernized concepts are the concepts and we don't really think enough about what's adaptable and what we can use and mold into like what's going to work for Pakistan. So that's that is something that's important that to just look at how things are working for your country. Yeah, of course, you shouldn't be like supporting cruelty or anything like that, but if you don't involve local communities in your conservation practice you can not do conservation it's simple as that I always say this to people that we all think that conservation is about animals it's more about people you work with people and that's how conservation works the things our country is going through we cannot do blanket protection of any species so we kind of have to you know, bend here and there and work in the grays and make it work for us
0: absolutely No, I think that is so true and I absolutely loved where you were going with the idea of to be successful in this field, just embracing it.
1: Yeah, I feel like 90% of conservationists are in this field because they're passionate about it. Like, let's be honest, it's not a high paying field. We're here because we love what we do. So that is something, especially when you're younger and you're like going through like that teenage time where you're trying to figure out what you want for your life. At least that's how it was for me, because I figured out really early on that I wanted to go into conservation. Like I was 14 at the latest when I realized actually that I this is what I wanted. And I think you do need to do full dive into it. Like you do need to throw yourself into it, because if you don't, there's so many things in conservation that you'll feel like are really difficult. The only way you can get through all of that is if you really believe that this is what you want, you're super passionate about what you're doing. All the things I just talked about are were so difficult for me. Honestly, like it was really hard on my mental health. I don't think that it would be exactly the same way for everybody else. But just because th- these were my battles and that was like something that I had to go through when I was younger, it was really difficult for me. I doubted myself a lot. I thought I was not as cool as my friends who were going to be lawyers and engineers and doctors and, you know. That is something that I, you know, I did go through that. Like every kid goes through that where they kind of like reach that point where it's uh, what they want versus what their parents want for them. And a lot of the times your parents are telling you really logical things like, oh, it's dangerous. It's not going to pay enough. You know, what if you, what if, why don't you just keep it as a hobby? But with, with conservation, if you're not in it 100%, it's really difficult to get through all of that and do, like, long hours and be in the field. Like, I've worked in the field in, like, 48 degrees Celsius and enjoyed it just because I love what I do. I've, like, willingly gone there in summer, gone out there and just been in the sun and had a great time just because I love what I do so much. And I think it's really important to understand why you love it so much. Like, for me, that that's something that came from, like, um, I feel like when I was younger, I felt, you know, as like kind of like a misfit or an outcast in a way, and and that's why I lean more towards the class of animals that was like disliked in a way, which was reptiles, and that is where my passion or love for co- conservation of reptiles actually came from. I felt like I identified with them in a strange way. <laughs> that sounds so weird, but once you figure out why you want to do this, like I feel like having Purpose is so important. Me discovering my purpose through high school really helped me stay out of a lot of things. Like a lot of things that my friends went through where they were like all over the place or they were involved with like either drugs or they were like going crazy drinking and losing their minds at parties. I was like really driven and focused at this point. I was like 17, 18, but I was like, this is what I want. I'm going to be David Attenborough and I'm not going to stop until I get it. So there was like that mindset that I had, that kind of fire in a way. A lot of the times, like this is a joke in my family because they all think I'm like crazy because they're like, it's not good to be so passionate about something. I'm like, okay, you know, it's needed in this field because you do need to go the extra mile to convince people. <laughs> like that's something that is like such a massive skill for conservationists that can be denied that you need to be able to work with people to be able to make people understand how what you're trying to say how all of this works so for all of these things in conservation I feel like if you know that you're passionate about it if you've got that fire if you convince yourself that look this is what I want and I'm going to be good at I'm not going to stop until I get it then I don't think that there's anything that can stop you in this field I really think that you can't get other people to believe in you unless you believe in yourself first I think that's something that really worked for me that I was able to get opportunities that I did because in the interviews, I would just I would just give like this impression. And it was true that I believed in myself so much. I would talk about my 25 year plan so clearly that this is what I want. I'm going to have a reserve. I'm going to do this. So I believed in myself so much that my parents started to believe in me. People who used to think that I was not started to believe in me. I started to get so many more opportunities just because I was so confident that this is what I'm going to do. And it doesn't matter to me what anybody else thinks about it. This is this is what I want.
0: Absolutely. What incredible advice. And I think so many people listening need to hear that. You know, if you're passionate about it, throw yourself into it. And don't be afraid to go for gold. Yeah,
1: if you're like doing something that you really enjoy and that you really love, I don't think that you should settle for something mediocre or something that's like normal. I don't think that you should do that. We only live once and our lives are short we should fully embrace what we love. Like we're here for a good time, not a long time. So you should honestly fully embrace what you love and just throw yourself into it. And I don't think that anybody that's done that has ever regretted it because I know that I don't regret choosing this field, even though that means that I haven't been able to go to university in the past two years. I've been on a two gap years ever since I graduated high school. And I'm not able to like, you know, go out in the field as much. There's so many things that would be easier for me if I was doing something normal like maybe business or maybe if I was in med school it would be easier for me my parents would be more accepting of it but I don't regret my decision ever like not one time have I thought that oh maybe I shouldn't have chosen this because I I'll go out in my garden I'll see like three birds and I'll be so happy that it's like nothing can match that happiness like last week I was out at night with a flashlight and I heard something moving and I turned around and there was this water snake it was sleeping on the side of one of our ponds and the kind of joy I felt oh my god, like, it's unmatched. And you shouldn't give that, give up that feeling for anything in the world. Like, I can't even explain to you the kind of feeling I get when I go to our reserve and I see all these wild animals just enjoying themselves, being to themselves, and I see them playing with each other. I see a mother and a child. The feeling that I get from all that, I wouldn't give it up for the world. I wouldn't give it up for all the money in the world, all the status, all the fame. I would not trade it for anything. It's, it's too good.
0: Absolutely no i absolutely love hearing you speak um in terms of people like yourself who might be passionate about starting in conservation but might not really know the steps that they need to take from your experience what are the non-negotiables we both know you don't need a degree to work in conservation but what are things that people should focus on first for establishing themselves in the field
1: right okay so I feel like, again, this looks really different for depending on where you are in the world. Like for being in Pakistan, I feel like I couldn't do so much like going on field trips or going on um, going to conventions or anything, uh, because a lot of that wasn't even happening. Nobody was doing conventions. Nobody's having like, you know, rec- reptile expos. Nobody's doing any of that here. Like it's that field is not really that prevalent here where people are like doing major things where you can go and get involved. So for me, what that looked like was, first of all, I always tell people conservation starts at home always, you can go out to the bush in front of your house and find like five bugs in it. If you're interested in that, if you're interested in bugs, make note of them, start drawing them. Like I would honestly say that first figure out where your interest lies in zoology. Zoology is such a broad field it's mammals, you've got reptiles, you've got like people are studying freshwater fish. Lots of people are doing different types of biology. There's so many things that you can get into when going into wildlife. You can go into so so many different directions. So the first thing I say is to figure out what direction you want to go in. For me, that was reptiles. So I started interacting with people that were more towards the reptile side, people that were in that field, people that were in herpetology. And I think that once you make those connections and you're honest with people, this is my situation, this is what I'm going through, what do you recommend? Those people can actually recommend country specific things that you can do. Like for me, a lot of people were not able to recommend like, oh, in Pakistan, you can do this because they were not in Pakistan. But um, I did get a lot of support in the way where they were like, okay, so we have this organization, maybe you can try volunteering with them. They have an online position open. So by networking with people, you're offered so many more opportunities, things that you didn't even know existed. I got found out about Conservation Optimism through my friend who was working with Conservation Optimism, who found me on LinkedIn. So I would say that networking is the way to go. Now I'm working as hub coordinator for Conservation Optimism. I'm working as a youth council member for Reserva. I'm working with an organization in Africa. And all of this happened from honestly making a LinkedIn account. <laughs> LinkedIn and Instagram really helped me network both of these platforms they're so underrated I feel like people are hating on social media in a way that they're like oh you know it destroys your life it's like a disease especially Instagram people really think that it's really bad and it's really toxic and I do agree that there is a toxic side to it but if you're on the right side if you're like networking for what you're interested in you can find so much support so many opportunities you have to put yourself out there I think the bottom line is Start putting yourself out there. Apply for positions you don't think you're qualified for. You never know. Like, honestly, I I apply for every position, even if I'm not qualified for it. And once I get accepted, I get that validation that, oh, look, you know, I don't need that degree or I don't need that kind of qualification because this person thinks I'm passionate enough to work on this role regardless. So there's a lot of things like that, that once you put yourself out there, you you have to be fearless because I know that fear of rejection is so prevalent in conservation because it's really hard to get jobs in this field. So people do feel like they'd rather not apply than get that rejection. And that was me for a very long time. Like I was not applying anywhere because I was like, I'm not good enough. I don't have a degree. Why would they take me? I'm so young. I'm just 20 years old. But when I started putting myself out there, I'm honestly like working with people who are in their 30s and 40s and they will talk to me. And literally, when they're introducing me to people, they'll be like, okay, Maria is a zoologist, Maria is a herpetologist, and they know I don't have a degree. So people around you will start giving you that validation, but you need to give yourself that validation first. Like You need to believe that, that you're there. You need to um, put yourself in that position where people are able to like, recognize you and offer you those opportunities. So I think networking is like the biggest thing. Like The things you can get from networking... I would recommend to anybody starting out in this field, start making friends in your field, start uh, talking to people, emailing people. Like I times that when I emailed Austin Stevens, I didn't think I was going to get a response. I was just 14 years old. So strange, because now when I think about it, I would not email Austin Stevens and tell him all my life's problems like, oh, please help me. My mom doesn't like what I do. And I just, I get so cringe when I think about it now. But then as a kid, he really gave me that validation I needed. As a 13-year-old, someone at his level in the field telling me that, you know, you're going to do this. There's nothing that's going to stop you. You're going to do great in this field and it's all going to work out for you. And you don't need to be worried about any of these things. You just need to push yourself. Just put yourself out there and people are going to start recognizing you for your passion. And that actually happened, like, after I got my job at Conservation Optimism, I asked the director who interviewed me, can you, like, give me the pointers at why did I get this job? Like, what did I say right? And she said, like, You said normal things. It was just your passion really came through. Like while you were talking, I could tell you were super passionate. And that's why you trumped all the other applicants because I want somebody who's passionate because I know they're going to do their job from their heart. That is, I think, really the bottom line. Like, I think I'm just repeating the same point, but I can't stress it enough that you put yourself out there. You're confident about what you're doing and in yourself network with people in your field believe in yourself believe that you're deserving of this position believe that you're deserving of the opportunities that you're getting give yourself that validation and others will give it to you too that's something that'll come along the way and For sure, like this will look different for people in different countries. Like, but yeah, if you're living in a place where you have volunteer opportunities where you can go out and just do like accounting turtles for a survey or something, you're going to make friends with people in that field, in that community, and they're going to be able to help you find more opportunities. So it's all about creating like a huge network all around the world. And you can get tons of opportunities just by doing that. And that is a good way to start out in the field, because I feel like people who have degrees do get that head start where they, their professors or their people who they're studying with are already in that field. So they don't have to make that effort. But I feel like if you don't have a formal education or formal education background in this field, then the best thing to do would be to network, just email people. So that is definitely something that I feel like don't underestimate the power of the internet and the power of these connections. And I feel like Uh, we always tend to think that why would that person want to help me? What have I ever done for them? What can I offer them? But I don't think that's like, I think that's like a really self-sabotaging way to think. When you think like that, you are kind of sabotaging yourself before even like trying. I, I would rather that I try and it doesn't work out than not trying at all. That's something, another thing in wildlife that's important. Just try for everything. Like it's not the end of the world if you get rejected. your name's not going to be plastered on like the empire state building saying oh my god she got rejected it's not going to happen and you need to like honestly just go for it just go for it head first just go for it like if you love it you want to spend the rest of your life doing it you know you're not going to be happy doing anything else there's no other way just go for it head first
0: Absolutely love some of the steps that you sort of mentioned there, the finding your passion. So identifying what you want, the networking, the gaining experiences, however, those come so many of those things you can do from your very own backyard. You can do them for free. You don't need to invest huge amounts of money to really start that process
1: for sure
0: so in that sense conservation should can always be accessible to people with the right support
1: yeah it's yeah it's for sure about like support and that that kind of support and validation can only come from people that are like higher up in this community in this field they need to kind of accept that Okay, just because this person doesn't have a degree doesn't mean that they're not worthy or deserving of a position or that they're not smart. There's so many things like at home, my mom makes fun of me. This is like a long running joke in our house. It's like a very Pakistani thing to do to save old jars and stuff. So we're very sustainable in that way. She saves everything. So she like empty something out and she'll put it on the windowsill to dry and the next morning she'll come and they're all gone because I've taken all of them to like collect bugs or collect something in it. And it's a long running joke. I've been doing it since I was a kid. I steal all of her jars and just collecting things, bringing them to my room, looking at them under a little magnifying glass, like those plastic ones that you can get from toy shops. Like, I don't think that conservation is something that difficult in that sense. Like you can literally go in your backyard or go to your local park. You can find so many things. You can start sketching, doing wildlife journaling. That's something that I find very interesting. You can do nature journaling and all of that. You can collect different types of leaves and identify them through the internet. You know, there's a lot of free resources. It's just sad that there's this gatekeeping in the professional community.
0: Mm, absolutely and it's something that definitely needs to change like if we're in this community it's our responsibility to help promote it beyond the field itself supporting people to come in and contribute
1: exactly a lot of times when you get volunteers they know they're not gonna get paid they probably won't like have a good time mucking around in like a swamp catching turtles or anything They're there because they enjoy it. And if you just take a little bit of that time and be like, okay, you know, let me teach you like how to do this statistical analysis of this entire population that we just found. And you might just change their lives with that just by like trying to help them out. So now that I'm in this field, I try doing that with younger people. Try my maximum to just educate them as much as I can, because if there's something they're lacking because they weren't able to get a degree, it's our responsibility to help them bridge that gap, to teach them things, to try to, like, um, get them on the same page. And that does include, like, hiring them into our organizations, inviting them to work with us without making them feel like they're less deserving or they should be, like, paid less or they should be treated worse. Like, it shouldn't be that way.
0: Absolutely. And... Would you be able to talk us through a little bit about the reserve that you love to visit? What does it look like? What kind of animals live there? What makes it such a special place for you?
1: So the reserve is like my heart and soul. Honestly, like when I go there, it's just I'm like in a different world. So it's in the southern part of Pakistan, which is in Sindh, which is a province that we have. And my grandparents used to live close to the reserve. It was like three hours in the city. They used to live in the city, which is Karachi. And they used to live there. So my dad's connection with Karachi was really strong. And then, you know, headed outside Karachi a little and he bought this land in um, the rural areas of Sindh and that's where kind of the reserve is established now and in the beginning it was just barren land like there's not a single tree there because it was mainly agricultural land and there's just like agriculture all around us but because he's so passionate he started out in I think 2010 and he was like I want a jungle and he just started planting these native trees which is acacia that we have native to Pakistan that part of Pakistan in particular. So he just started planting them and he didn't want, he didn't want to do the lined planting. He just told people, he hired the local community. He was like, here's the seeds, just go throw them. Wherever they grow, that's what we'll accept. We're not gonna try to like perfect this or make it special or, you know, make it not special, but not make it perfect in any way. It's gonna be a jungle in the very real sense of the word. In the beginning, it was just shrubs because acacia is a shrub and then it grows into a tree. And now 10 years later, it's a huge, like the trees are huge and it's just beautiful. It's a hundred acres, which is not that big, I guess, but I'm like, I'm like lost for words. It's just, it's so different there because you just enter and you're lost. It's just these huge, massive acacia trees. And the best part is in spring and autumn, they turn like bright yellow. The flowers on them are like yellow. So the whole jungle is bright yellow. And for the, as for the wildlife there, so for the deer and the antelopes, we had to put those in ourselves because there were no uh, no more left in that area. Even though they're native to that area, there were no jungles left in that area. So we had to bring them in. So we have all native wildlife there, apart from two ostriches that just ended up there and then we didn't know what to do with them. So we have uh, five species of deer and antelope. So many species of birds came and settled there themselves. So we got all the native reptiles that came in there themselves. They just showed up and they started making home in there. And nobody bothers them. Nobody does anything with them. Uh, We have crocodiles there, our native crocodiles, mugger crocodiles. Uh, We made like these pathways so the jeep can go through and you can like see all the deer. So it's really fun because in breeding season, we always have new babies. The moment where you see a family and you see a new baby, it's like, you can't compare it to anything else. The joy that you feel that these animals have made their homes here and they're like living out their lives and they're happy here. It's just unmatched. And the best part is that we noticed over like the time that the jungle's been there that th- the climate of the entire area changed. Rains there now. Before it never used to rain, and now it started raining there. The temperature is much lower there. It's there's all sorts of birds you see. You see all sorts of butterflies. And that the other day my dad was telling me that he was there and he saw like more than a thousand butterflies just lift off off into the sky and he was in shock. And It's just something really special to see that something you create, putting effort into that and not expecting to get anything back out of that reserve. It's also really special seeing my dad and how he enjoys that place and he really feels like that's his baby. I feel like that's another story, my dad's whole life story. He was in corporate billionaire and then he left that life just because he wanted to be on his jungle. He wanted to be a conservationist and he just closed this company and he was like you know this is not what I love doing I'm like 50 years old and how long am I gonna do this job that I hate and he just shut the company and he bought all these lands he grew a jungle and he's like this is what I love this is what I'm gonna do so seeing him as like I really view him as a role model as a figure who didn't give up on his dreams and seeing him actually see his dreams come to like reality like they've just become reality the whole place he just he just loves to spend time there and I love spending time with him there it's just something really special to see that you know if humans do put their effort into something without really expecting that get something in return from that it can like be something really great like I feel like a lot of us think that yeah our dreams are just our dreams the word dreams means like something that's imagined or something that's not gonna happen but seeing someone's dream come true in front of my eyes while I was growing up, seeing that happen was a really, really massive motivating factor for me because I was just like, you know, if this can happen for him, it can happen for me. I think that is what makes it so emotional and so special for me is that I saw somebody who was in wildlife and wanted it so bad and they didn't stop until they got it. Even though my dad is in his 60s now, he will still go there in like 50 degrees heat Just so he can sit with his animals and enjoy that. So I think that is what makes that reserve so special for me. And working with him on that reserve, obviously, like it really like strengthens our relationship.
0: It's powerful, isn't it? Seeing those dreams materialize. When I
1: graduated, everyone started telling me, you're running out of time. You're running out of time. Why aren't you in university? You're running out of time. And I got freaked out because I was like, oh, my God, I'm 21. And people have usually graduated university at this point. I'm 21 and I haven't even gone to university. And then he, when I spoke to him about this, he said, you know, I achieved my ultimate goal in life at like 50. So you don't have to be worried. And you know, when I see that, when he started working on his dreams, he was 45 years old. And now in his 60s, he's still enjoying that. Like, it just gives you that kind of resolution that it's never too late. And thinking that you're running out of time is definitely not the right mindset to have. Conservation or like, doing anything you love there's no like age limit to that there's no age limit to following your heart following your dreams following your passions like I feel like people like reach 30 and they're like oh it's too late for us now we just have to like you know settle and you know just make do with the time we have left but it's not really like that you can follow your dreams right
0: now absolutely No, I think that is such an important lesson and so beautiful that it came from watching your dad on his reserve growing up and being being a part of that as well because you share that passion. Now, would you be able to tell people whereabouts they could go to find out more about the amazing work that you're doing and sort of follow your adventures?
1: Okay, so... I have a blog on Instagram called Rebel Zoologist, so you can find my adventures there. We also have a page for the reserve, which is in my bio. So if you're interested in seeing the reserve or our wildlife, you can find it there and I'm looking forward to hearing more from It's a Wildlife. I'm really excited to see more podcasts from you guys as well. And Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's honestly been great talking about all these things and just really getting into it because I feel like, you know, when we're going about our daily lives, we kind of forget all the special work we're doing and how important it is. And when you talk to somebody else about it, it really reminds you that, oh wow I am really doing all those things you know so it is a really really big motivation for me to just having this conversation you know
0: oh completely and I'm so grateful that we were able to have this conversation because
1: I really hope this helps people
0: thank you for joining us for another episode of it's a wild if you've been inspired by our discussion or have something to share please get in touch leave us a review or share the love with your network. We'll chat soon.